Hey guys, it's Adam Himmelsbach with the Boston Globe. We're here with another On the Parquet podcast. Uh, Gary Washburn, my co-podcasters, on the road with the Celtics right now, uh, finishing up their three-game road trip before they play the Spurs on Thanksgiving Friday. Um, as we said in our last podcast, I kind of, for people who are getting a little worried about their sort of slow start, I said, just wait until they have their full team together. I think it'll be a different team you'll see, and I think they'll be fine. And so far, so good for the Celtics. Of course, you know, they could have easily lost that game to the Pistons. They could have lost the Timberwolves if they didn't make that late run, but they won both games, and, and Al Horford's made a huge difference since coming back. Jay Crowder, it seems like, is still um, kind of finding his rhythm a little bit. His ankle is slowing him, but um, he's getting there. And, and, you know, once this team's healthy, I think they really are going to be dangerous. And I, I tweeted this yesterday. It's, like, so early to even really look at the standings. But we're also 14 games in. And which is about, uh, I guess, a little more than a sixth of the way into the season. And they're a game out of second place. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they progress now they do have their full team and, and you know, play, with, play a bit of a easy schedule over these next. They're in the midst of now, I think, seven of their eight games are against teams with losing records besides the, games on, the game on Friday against the Spurs. But anyway, I kind of wanted to do like a little bit of a different podcast today. Um, I, I think the question I get asked more than any other from people who either are entering journalism or just kind of even friends and family members or people you meet is about covering games. And they the most common question I get is, do you actually go to the games? Which to me seems silly, but I, then I have to remember sometimes people just, like, I don't know how, you know, stockbrokers really do their jobs or doctors do their jobs or whatever. Um People wonder, do you go to the games? They say, do you do you talk to players afterward? Uh, how do you do it? Do you can you just watch on TV? So I thought I would kind of, I don't know, use a short podcast and kind of go behind the curtain on what it takes to cover an NBA game, what you do, what you watch for, what goes wrong, what goes right. Um, you know, for those who are listening to this who are in journalism and already know this stuff, you guys can skip it and go have more Thanksgiving leftovers or Thanksgiving dinners. But those who are unfamiliar with it, I mean, I, I, I've gotten heard from Boston, obviously, such a great um, educational city with, with colleges and universities. And a lot of students have contacted me already just kind of with these similar questions about wanting to get into the industry and stuff like that. So I thought it could be a, a different, fun kind of podcast. So with that said, let's talk about it. Um, road games are, are a little bit different than home games because... The Celtics have an open shoot-around, which is perfect. Um, the road shoot-around, is, is, those are some of my favorite times because the atmosphere is very relaxed. Um, players aren't necessarily as like locked in and focused as they are when you talk to them before a game, and you have good access. And generally, road games, there isn't nearly as much media there. You know, The Globe will be there. The Boston Herald will be there. Uh, Jay King, my buddy from Mass Lives, is often there. Chris Forsberg from ESPN occasionally is there. Then, of course, Comcast, Celtics.com. I'm probably forgetting like one outlet, and if they listen to this, they'll be mad at me. But that, for the most part, is is it. Um, and it's a good time to kind of either work on a story or work ahead on a story, like a feature or a trend story, um, even just a time to kind of sit down with a guy and get to know him a little bit more in a relaxed atmosphere. So... Thumbs up to road shoot-arounds and everything about them, and even road practices that are on off days when they're on a road trip between games.
At home, things are different. There is no shoot around, no shoot around access at least. The Celtics generally have what they call kind of a walkthrough and it's not open to the media. And home games can be a real challenge from a media perspective. That's kind of a nice way of putting it. Mostly because of the sheer number of media, the sheer number of journalists that are there. Uh, I haven't, you know, this is my second full season covering Celtics. I haven't been to every stadium or arena yet, I should say. Um, but it seems like the Celtics' home media core is probably second in the NBA to the Knicks. And on some nights when the Knicks are bad, maybe even more. Um, you know, there could be others that I'm glossing over. I, you know, I did one Lakers game, and I'm they had a big contingent too. The Lakers have just not been as good. Of course, when Kobe was finishing out his career, that was a, there was a swarm there. But generally, the Celtics are right up there. There's um, a good number of national like people who are based around here. Um, there's obviously the Celt- general Celtics newspaper beat writers. There's a big core of bloggers um, that cover the Celtics as well. And it's really, you know, really a, a nice mix of journalists a good, and a really good group. I think, I think Celtics fans are really fortunate to have such a, a kind of focused and, and deep and talented core of, of writers and broadcasters covering the team. Um, but at home, <laughs> at home games, I wish sometimes they would all go away. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I'm, I'm like sort of kidding because at home games, it's tough because there's still generally, you know, nine players, 10 players that you would have interest in talking to sometimes three or four. And when there's, I don't know, 50 media members there or whatever, it becomes difficult and cameras and everything are in the way and there is no shoot around. So on game days, I have to do a pregame notebook, which basically I'll file before the game. Good news is there is pregame access. Um, you can talk to Brad Stevens, or Brad Stevens has a press conference at a home game at about 5.45, and that can last up to 15 minutes, and he'll talk to you about anything you want. Generally, that's reserved for questions about injuries, to ask Brad uh, Stevens about you know potential lineup changes. We, all, we joke, Abby Chin, Comcast Sportsnet's uh, great sideline reporter, is generally the one who will always ask the uh, starting lineup changes. And we slacked, and sometimes she would... Well, I, I shouldn't say she forgot. Like, we would all forget. Um, and not ask Brad, because generally the lineup hadn't changed, and sometimes it would change, and he wouldn't tell us. So, so now Abby uh, will always usually take care of us with the injury and lineup questions. Um, and then there's the opponent questions. Those are my favorite, because it's basically you ask Brad or the opposing coach about their the team they're playing. Um, and no matter who it is, and no matter how bad that might that team might be, the coach will have something positive to say about them, if not like gushing about them. So I always get a kick like if you're playing like the worst team in the NBA, uh, listening to the coaches try to find a way to still say like why how dangerous they are or what makes them so talented or why they're a tough matchup for them and all of that. Sometimes I would be curious like how I mean sometimes you know even if even if the team's bad it's completely valid but I feel like there has to be other times when they're uh thinking in the back of their head like yeah this team is terrible but what can I think of right now that's a really nice thing to say about them of course when it's the opposing coach talking about the Celtics the Celtics are pretty good right now so it's probably not as hard but they they most often will really talk about the Celtics guards they opposing coaches love Avery Bradley and Isaiah Thomas
Um, they're really uh, talking pretty positively about them pretty often. So anyway, there's 15 minutes with Brad Max. It usually doesn't it usually doesn't go the full 15, and 15 minutes with the opposing coach, and that usually doesn't go the full 15 either. Um, and then they'll open the locker room at I guess 6:15. Both locker rooms open up, and you have a chance to go in there for half an hour and talk to whoever happens to be available. Um, players are supposed to be, by league rule, uh, if they didn't speak at shoot-around or if a team didn't hold a shoot-around, which is the Celtics case at uh, home games, they're supposed to be available to speak upon request. But the um, locker room tends to be sort of a ghost town. Guys will hang out in the trainer's room. They'll be out getting shots up. There'll be many places besides the locker room. There are a few locker room lingerers. Avery Bradley will often just sit at his chair and is pretty accessible. Tyler Zeller is often sitting in his chair in the locker room. Rookies usually will be in there more often than veterans, but it sometimes can be pretty sparse with like 15 writers standing there looking at our feet and telling bad jokes. And there's always a, a TV that's showing film of that night's opponent. So if they're playing the Raptors, it'll show the Raptors' last game usually rolling kind of on a loop. And it's for guys to kind of look up and, you know, take things from. Avery Bradley will watch it pretty often. Most guys don't pay any attention to it. But usually what happens is the writers end up just kind of looking up and staring at it um, and waiting. But it can be tough because, so, so like, by league rule, like I said, these guys are supposed to talk, are supposed to be available to talk. It, it can, it's been a challenge sometimes because um, Jay Crowder doesn't like talking before a game. Isaiah Thomas doesn't like talking before a game. Avery sometimes doesn't. Uh, Amir Johnson doesn't, and you know they, the Celtics have done a better job this year of kind of working to make guys available. But uh, last year we had it easy because Evan Turner was here, and Evan will talk to you at any time, at any moment about whatever topic you want, when, wherever you want. Like he was just, and, and then he would give you some amazing quotes, as you guys remember from reading and listening to him last year. So it's a little been a little tougher. You know, we're only fourteen games in, but it's been a little tougher without Evan. But we're trying to figure out ways to make it work. So after that 30-minute period, and then and also in the locker room, you're, you're not just, you know, you're not just doing these interviews. You're also looking for little things. Is a guy, whatever, getting medical treatment? Are, are, do, are guys upset about something? Like, are guys, is the mood really light? Is someone telling a joke and you overhear something that, he, you know, that that's going on or that went on last night that is why he might play a great game today or, you know, whatever. I'm not really thinking good examples right now, but you just kind of pay attention to your surroundings for any little, any little tidbit or nugget that might either be something you put in a notebook or more importantly, something that could mesh into the story of what's going to happen in the game that's played later on that night. Then you go back to your, to the media room. Uh, In my case, I write my pregame notebook. Several other writers will do that too. Some don't. Um, uh, so it'll be a mixture of injury updates, stuff about the opposing team, maybe you know small trends here and there that don't necessarily need a big story but are worth updating readers on. Um, and then I will file that before the game even starts. And mixed into that time, you also have dinner. And I will say TD Garden has its flaws. It, for, I don't know, is it a 20-year-old building? It's pretty nondescript has very few amenities, very few media amenities, not that anybody else cares about media amenities, 
but it has probably the best uh, media dinners in the M- media slash employee dinners in the NBA. So you guys can sleep well knowing that everyone's well fed there. Uh, so then you have you have dinner at some point mixed in there, and then it's time for the game. Um, the game itself, you take uh, a lot of a lot of different writers, I guess, take varying approaches to how they actually cover a game. Now, there's so much information at your fingertips as you watch. Uh, information that can help you as, it's, as the game's going. I like to pull up a box score, a live box score, and the live play-by-play, and keep those open in two windows and be able to kind of track them as they go. Because within the flow of a game, sometimes it's tough to say, oh, wow, this is like an 11-0 run, or, oh, wow, like the Spurs are 0-for-11 from 3 already. So to have that little insight there to go on helps as the game's going so you kind of don't lose touch. Then, of course, you have Twitter open. And Twitter is such a, it's such a big part of covering a game. And I, I'm, I'm always torn on that because it's a big audience and people are interested. But I always have to remind myself that most people who read my story the next day are not Twitter users. Um, so I might have to be more aware of te- including things in a game store that are less... Um, that may be more obvious to a Twitter user who watches the game and follows 20 Celtics writers and consumes this so much, um, as opposed to a, maybe a typical Boston Globe uh, subscriber who you know, is a casual fan and wants to read about the game but doesn't track like advanced stats super closely. So um, that's you know, a, different way, a different approach to... Covering it as as the game's going on. When I when I was younger and even covering high school sports, I would track every score um, with a pen and paper, every basket. You put the time, you put the person who scored, you put a little note next to it. And uh, in high, when you cover high school sports, that's it's essential because nobody's doing it for you. In the NBA, you do have other uh, the teams doing it for or the leagues doing it for you. These online stats are doing it for you. And I found that when I would write them, you know, I used to cover the Washington Wizards, and I would still write the scores by hand then too. But I would miss too much of the game, especially in the NBA, because it's so fast-paced. You know, you're covering a uh, baseball game; it's a little bit easier to put down a put out with your with your score sheet and stuff. But there are writers like Gary Washburn, my coworker. He'll he'll still rel- religiously keep score by hand. I joke with him sometimes. I'll give him a hard time because. Sometimes if he's not even writing a story that night, he might have a night off from writing. He'll still keep the entire score by hand. He said it's almost like a tradition for him and the habit that he's kept, and he likes to do it. And of course, I make fun of him because I always make fun of Gary. Uh, but yeah, you know, a couple other writers will do that as well. Others will just take notes. Like, so I'll have a Microsoft Word file open and take notes, basically as the game goes, things I notice, things to keep an eye on, that sort of thing. Um, and then you kind of try to wait for the game to start telling its own story. Like every game, there's 82 stories that are told over the course of a year. And typically in an NBA game, the story really develops in the fourth quarter because big leads evaporate, you know, a close game hasn't had its defining moment yet. And you end up kind of, that, the first couple of quarters end up being filler as, or, or build up for the real story being told. In in some arenas, you're sitting actually courtside, generally in some of the smaller markets, like New Orleans is one example, Oklahoma City, I'm pretty sure. You're like right up there, like the old days. And that really helps, I think, 
tell the story of a game because you hear the coaches yelling their instructions. You hear the players talking to each other. You have such a good a view of what's transpiring on the court. Those are really the ideal situations when you are doing a game story. At TD Garden, we're kind of in the corner. Um, they're not the worst seats. They're not the best. You can't, you can't really hear anything, and it's not the best vantage point. But you're close enough to have, a, have an idea of what's going on and, um, you know, keep an eye on, on what's happening. You're, you're closer to the Celtics bench, too, so that's always good. When, when they come in and out of the tunnel, they walk right by us, and occasionally you'll notice something from that time, too. After the game, uh, I will file like a 300-word story pretty much right when it ends. Usually if it's something really hectic happened and it was a crazy finish, it might take me a couple more minutes. If it's a blowout, uh, I'll, I'll have it. those 300 words mostly done. just need to plug in the final score and then you know who some of the scoring leaders and that sort of thing. And that's to go online immediately. And, I'm, and that also goes to our first edition papers that are kind of on the outskirts of our coverage area around New England. Um, and it's generally like said 300 words, sometimes 350 words, depending on the game. Uh, and the notebook, of course, has already been filed earlier, so that will go in all the first edition papers too. And is almost always online before the game ends as well. Uh, then I'll, I'll usually uh, I'll touch base with Gary and, and see what column he's thinking of writing so we're not overlapping too much. Uh, with my game story, so I have like the exact same lead. You know, sometimes there's going to be some overlap. Sometimes there's just like a golden quote, and you have to remember not everyone's going to read both stories. But we don't want to have like the exact same lead or the exact same theme of the game story in a column. So then Brad Stevens will have his post game press conference, which is similar to his pregame, except it's in a room instead of in a hallway. Um, and then the opposing coach will have his simultaneously so i will almost always miss that then they open the locker room and uh the celtics will bring three or four guys over to do interviews um they have a pretty good group this year again evan turner is a tough loss with us for us i mean just because he would he was just very thought this combination of thoughtfulness um humor and awareness was was always really good. But Isaiah Thomas is is a very good interview. He's probably my favorite on the team. He'll he'll tell you the truth. He'll tell you exactly what he feels, um, no matter the situation. If they played a bad game, he'll tell you what he didn't like about it. If they played a great game, he'll tell you what he liked about it. But he'll he'll be honest with you. He'll tell you how he feels when and he and he and he says it very well. He says it in in really thoughtful ways for the most part. And Jay Crowder, <laughs> Jay Crowder's the guy. When you, when they have a bad loss, Jay's the one you want to talk to because Jay's the fiery. You know, we we need to fix this. I'm not going to stand for this. He doesn't. He's such a competitor. They have a lot of competitors, but Jay's a competitor who wears it on his sleeve and he doesn't like losing. And he'll he'll tell you that. <laughs> um, so Jay's a, Jay's a good one. I'm trying to think, of, Avery can be pretty thoughtful. Avery Bradley can be pretty thoughtful too. Uh, kind of win or lose. Sometimes, especially with Isaiah, after games he'll go and get massages and be gone for a while. With newspaper deadlines, I won't, I won't even have time to wait for him, which is kind of difficult because, like I said, I mean he's their he's their all star. He's their guy you want to talk to, and if you have to bail on him, that's tough. But the newspaper deadlines still reign supreme. And the problem is this year the Celtics 
have like 22 national television games, and those are almost always 8 p.m. games, and as opposed to a 7.30 game, and they have a longer timeout for a TNT or ESPN game. The TV timeouts are longer than when the game's on CSN, so that pushes everything back and makes it even tougher. But, you know, if you if you miss Isaiah once every 10 games, that's just going to have to happen. If, of course, if he scores 50 points, then I'll maybe go right for a little bit and then run back when Isaiah is talking. He's, um, like I said, a combination of him playing well and also being a great interview. Terry Rozier also has potential, I think, to be a really good interview, kind of selfishly. So then you go right, uh, go back to the media room, and everyone kind of stops talking for a little while and works on their stories, their various stories or television hits and things like that. Um, and I'll usually write about 800 words for a game story, give or take. I always try to hit the 800 mark. I, sometimes people write like 1,200-word game stories, and to me that's just too much for a game story. It's way too much, um, but I think eight hundred is a nice is a nice number. Usually allows you to tell the story without kind of overburdening the reader. Then if I'll update a notebook if it needs updating, whether you know if a player was injured during the game or if something if there was a scuffle or something happened that you need to update, or even if it's just you talked about in your pregame notebook, so and so is coming back from an injury, and then you say, okay, here's how they did, here's how it went. So you'll update that, and I'll I'll do that after the game story. And then that's pretty much it. That's pretty much a game night. Then you trudge down to the TD Garden garage, go home, and then come back again in a couple of days to do it all over again. So that's kind of a night at TD Garden or a day of covering the Celtics. And hopefully you guys found it interesting and just a little bit a little bit different, a little behind the scenes. I'll try to do a couple more of these like podcasts with a similar theme as this over the year. Not not too many, but just kind of mixing it, mixing it up a little bit. Um, maybe kind of how how to how I tell a story of like a more long form feature and how you, how those stories come about. Um, so yeah, appreciate you guys listening. Remember to subscribe at bostonglobe.com on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on the parquet. And I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for again for listening to these. And we're going to keep the podcast going throughout the season like we did last year. And this is, this is the second one, but we're going to, be more aware of, of keeping them coming and if you have ideas of things you want us to talk about feel free to shoot me a line or shoot Gary an email find us on Twitter at Adam Himmelsbach at G Washburn Globe I think is Gary's Twitter and yeah so I hope everyone has a great holiday and, and thanks for listening